Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. The alarm rang through the empty school hallways, bouncing off lockers and catching the attention of each focused classrooms. Students straightened up in their seats. Sweet! A fire drill to get us out of the class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean by that, high schoolers? Yeah, right. Fire drill to get us out of the class. Teachers were disgruntled at the inconvenience of another drill, gathered the attention of the class, and proceeded to carry out the routine of the drill procedure. We've all been there before. And as the students filed into the hallways, they were astonished to see billowing smoke circling throughout the building. This wasn't a drill. This was the real deal. Fire was making its way through the school and chaos, frenzied emotions, and quickly mounted and engulfed the entire, and the students went into the front lawn and it was frenzied. And they watched as flames engulfed the school. A head count revealed a very startling reality that numerous students were unaccounted for. They were still inside the building. After the incident, uh, school board met to determine the magnitude of the loss, not only of the classrooms and supplies, but also the tragic loss of life. It was discovered that the building was not equipped with a sprinkler system. In an effort to begin the healing and rebuilding process, the school board decided on a state-of-the-art sprinkler system that would be installed in the new building. By the grand opening, the sprinkler system was in place and student life resumed to a very new normal. And the school's janitorial staff paid very close attention to every nook and cranny of the building. And while making the rounds in the basement one morning, a janitor discovered a scandalous mistake in the new sprinkler system. You see, it was state-of-the-art, but it was never connected to the water source. It was a well-planned and constructed system without the only step that mattered, connection to the water source. And should a fire ever come again, the sprinklers would be useless. Connection to the source was key to its purpose. I'm willing to say that this morning we all want to make a difference in our life. All of us desire to make our life count and to have an impact and meaning on other people and other persons. It's a noble thing to desire to want to make a lasting difference and impact on people, an impression on others. But many of us have missed the true source of difference-making, true inward spiritual change. Nothing more telling of this sort of reality is going to Barnes & Noble and going to the self-help or leadership section, right? Maybe nine things to be a better you or 40 days to be a better person, all very noble and worthwhile things, and I'm sure you can glean a lot of wisdom for them, beneficial and whatnot. Head online, you'll find endless resources on coaching and mentoring and on books on bettering you, and none of that is bad per se, but in a world looking for very instantaneous results and quick fixes, it can almost be discouraging to sort of read those and then sort of not even see them happening. But a lot of this in our world, an instantaneous result world and shortcuts, could it be that we have done a lot of lasting things, we've done a lot of things without truly digging a well for deep and lasting life, from not drawing from its source? What would it look like for us to be sustainable 
to live a life, to be drawn from a life that was sustainable, lasting, and true. A true heart change that other people would notice and say, man, that person's different because of the way that they live. Families notice. What about your kids? Maybe they notice it too. A deep and real fervent relationship with Jesus Christ. In a world full of various methods, we can all go to the bookstore and find them, an old force of various methods and ways and good advice. Where is it that we can draw from and have a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ? Where is it that we can find them? And lasting change. And we can go through life trying to change, but we can also fail. Maybe you have your New Year's resolution in the rearview mirror at this point. Maybe you're still doing it. But oftentimes, we can sort of look at that. And where can we find some things? Where can we find deep spiritual change connection? And if Jesus isn't your Savior, or if you've never trusted Jesus Christ in your life, I'm praying that today, that that craving, maybe that desire that we all have to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in our families and our kids and our, our aunts, uncles and cousins and our neighbors, perhaps. And I'm praying today that maybe at the innermost core of all of our beings, that that would be to know Jesus Christ. That would be to come to know Jesus Christ, the one who desires our hearts, your heart, this very day. We've been looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus that Jesus Christ makes about himself, and they're all recorded in the Gospel of John. And these are not just statements, but these reveal to us the depths of the Christian life because we place our trust in Jesus, and then he says these things about himself, all recorded in John's Gospel. And I love what one author says, I am changes who I am. I am changes what I do. I like that. When we trust in Jesus, we're also saying that these statements are true about him, but these are about the living God who lives in us even now. Jesus is not a was. Jesus is an is in the present tense. So here's the seven. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Today is the last of those. And these I am statements recorded in the scriptures, reveal to us the depths of the Christian life and how God's children can go deeper with Jesus in the present tense. We come to know a little bit more about Jesus through these statements, about a little bit more about a more fuller picture about who Jesus is and what he's done to give us and to give us life eternal. And he says in Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In John 14.6, we said this last week that Jesus says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the what? Life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I don't know about you, but when I read that statement, it sort of stops me right in my tracks. It's like, boy, Jesus is making a very exclusive claim about himself. There's the only way. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. The kind of statement that's like one way ordeal that really looks at Jesus is the only way. He's the Son of God. And all across Jesus' time on earth, he's been claiming that he's from God. He's going back to God. He is from the Father. He's of the Father. And there's this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus is trying to explain to them that he is of God and that he is of the Father. And what this means is that he is of God. And so what we know from Jesus is when we look at Jesus, that's what God is like when we look at Jesus. And so all across his ministry, he does that. So here's sort of John chapter 15, 764 of the Bible in front of you. John chapter 15. We want to go there. It's going to be on the screen here in a second. But this is what we call Jesus' farewell discourse. Here's sort of a big picture of this. John 15 is the passage, but here's the big picture of, the, of what happens here. 
If you bookend John 14 to 17, you're going to read a lot about Jesus. There's going to be a lot of, if your Bible has red letters in them, that's a lot about Jesus and what Jesus has to say um, beginning the last week of his life. It's a lot about the last will. Somebody said the last will or the last testament of what Jesus kind of wants all of his disciples to know the last week before he is about to be handed over to be crucified. He wants to know this about himself. Um, he wants them to know this about what it looks like to be a Christian and to follow Jesus in this world. The last teachings that he wants us to know. Um, so he means this so that, um, you know, if you're going to, you know you're going to be handed over someday. If you want your last words to make an impression, these are it. So all those chapters are those. I mean, he's very demonstrating something to us about the very heart of God and about the heart of himself. So we at this church, we value uh, the Bible. We value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. And I pray that you would find a church that does the same thing, that does preach and teach the scriptures faithfully. 764, and it's also on the screen behind me as well. So it's John 15. Reading through verse 8, Jesus says, I am the true what? Vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that he does bear fruit, he what? Prunes so that it'll even be more fruitful. Notice how many times, I don't know, maybe some of your Bibles will say remain or abide. Just notice this when we read through this, how many times this comes up. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the what? Vine and you are the branches. If you, what's that word? Remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire, and burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my what? Disciples, disciples. Did you notice how many times that word showed up? Abide? Maybe some of your Bibles say to remain. How many times? It is a lot of times. It's Jesus is trying to like really hammer home something here. He's just trying to get us to know to abide, to remain. Um, so whatever your translation says, it means to be connected to a life source, to be connected to a life source with, with Jesus. And it's repeated to show this as Jesus, as disciples are, they're, Jesus is about to leave at this point, and his disciples want are, he's wanting them to know to remain, even to have a relationship with him after they're gone. And John 15, 1, 15, 2 says that I'm, I'm sorry, 15, 1 says, I am the true vine and you and my father is the gardener. Jesus, in those words, he's speaking in very plain language in that day. Um, very common, would have been very well known of the day of the disciples um, in Jesus' day. Fruit is only able to sprout up if it's connected to the source, which is the vine. And Jesus says here that he is the source of all fruit bearing, that he is the only way to bear fruit. The only way to bear fruit in your life is through Jesus. You cannot bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine, to the source. And you see in those days and nowadays too, that vine growing and pruning is a very extensive process. Very common in the world of the Bible was this, um, was, the, was that of vineyards and vine growing. I have not seen them, but apparently in the vineyards of Northern California, you will find bare and twisted trunks in the wintertime. 
And in the summertime, what meets the eye are endless rows of lush green grapevines growing to their foliage so fast that you can actually see them grow. Their health is directly proportionate to their pruning. A grapevine never produces anywhere its potential without being pruned first. So notice what Jesus says in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it's going to even be more fruitful as well. So there's this process of cutting and pruning in this. In fact, professional pruners would take about three years to get trained. It's crazy. About three years to get trained and approved. And then there's this pinching to remove the growing tip so that it won't grow too rapidly. And there's a topping off when a, a foot or two and new growth to, to remove the, the loss of an entire shoot. Thinning the grape clusters enables the rest of the branch to bear more fruit and to bear better quality fruit. And the cutting away gives nourishment to the entirety of the plant. The vines are pruned in the fall or winter so that the main stock will have more advantageous growth and fruit. And just as the gardener has meticulous and careful job, so too does our Heavenly Father if we abide in Him. He does this process of this pruning and cutting away to bear more fruit. And it says Jesus, abiding in Jesus also means this, that He'll prune every area of our life in order for us to fully trust Him and then to bear more fruit. The good news is that when the cutting and pruning out process comes, it can be painful, but it can also bear way more fruit in your life. Psalm 1 and pruning always hurts. It always hurts. But notice Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then in verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes the pain of pruning comes because of our own sins, our own doing. Sometimes it does that. Other times it's simply because we are bearing fruit and God wants us to bear more fruit. And the process of pruning is twofold. The dead branches are to be cut off and also means that God is making a way for us to bear more fruit. And perhaps it feels as though right now it's the winter of Northern California and that trunk isn't bearing any fruit, or it doesn't seem that way. Not even an ounce of type of sprout is in sight in your life at this point. Like in the winter of Northern California, where the land is, or the source, or the, man, the season seems long in your life. God uses those seasons to prepare us, even if we can't see it. The Father does this for the pruning of our own sake, to get rid of some branches that just aren't dead anymore or to help us for the sake of bearing more fruit. But church, it's often painful. None of us want the knife. In a moment of honesty here, in this passage, some of this, just reflecting on this, some of us are, Christians are subject to the when syndrome. The when syndrome. When I get spiritually mature, these things won't happen to me. When I get married... I won't struggle this way anymore. When I retire, my life is going to get easier. And we attach it spiritually too. When I get enough time, then I'll get right with the Lord. When I get out of a desert season or a season of disappointment or discouragement, then I'll start having quiet time with Him. Afflictions, church, would only stop if they were useless. 
and that's why they don't stop. Without pruning, a vineyard would never be in full bloom and would never be able to bear the fruit that it does without pruning. And oftentimes, church, it's very painful. But it's for the sake of bearing more fruit, to be attached to the source of the vine. James chapter 1 reminds us to consider it pure what? Joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, perseverance is one of those traits. Boy, it takes a while. But there's only something, there's a few things that we're taught, and that's through perseverance. It's only through persevering in which we are only, that's in which we learn some very valuable lessons. It's through simple perseverance. And oftentimes in our culture, we kind of, kind of in our world of like, man, we get the news, we get everything, we get, everything is just so quick. Perseverance often gets lost. And I just want you to know, like, there's only some things in life that can be grown character or spiritually that's only grown through persevering. And it's just part of, part of life, and it's part of the spiritual life as well. Malcolm Muggeridge, in his book, Jesus Discovered, says, Suppose you eliminated suffering. What a dreadful place the world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be a much more ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendency of this unspeakable little creature, man, to feel over-important and over-pleased with himself would disappear. He's bad enough now but he would absolutely be intolerable if he never suffered. And I kind of read that quote at first. I'm like, man, is he right about that? <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I don't know if he's right about that. But there are only lessons that can be learned, church, through affliction and suffering. There's lessons that can be learned through it. Preaching a gospel that is void of suffering is not a gospel at all. We will suffer. A gospel and salvation that promises you that your life will be void of free of suffering is a broken promise. And thinking of Jesus, he didn't go through the resurrection without first being crucified, without going through suffering on the cross. Jesus throughout his life was abandoned. He was broken. He was hurt. He was misunderstood. He was all of those things. Hardship and turmoil are great teachers. Don't neglect the season you're in, church. Don't neglect the season you're in, even if it's hard, challenging, overwhelming. Farmers don't take seasons off. I don't know very many farmers, but I know that they don't take seasons off. They have to work all the time, all year round. And neither do the people who prune. Neither does our Heavenly Father. You know, your Heavenly Father does not take seasons off either. There are seasons of pruning and also seasons of fruit bearing. But both are true, that God does the pruning for the purpose of your spiritual life, for the purpose of fruit bearing, and he promises that we will bear fruit if we abide in him. Notice John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 16, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The choice is between nothing and lasting. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The, the difference is, between the choices are between lasting fruit or nothing. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want to have lasting fruit. Lasting difference in this world. Oftentimes, the distinctiveness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the Christianness sometimes is lost. We look differently than the world around us. 
We look at that. We are fruit bearers and image bearers. Notice verse 3. It says that you are already saying this to disciples. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So by his cross, by Jesus dying and being raised to life, we have been made clean. Completely brand new. If you are in Christ, you are completely brand new. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. God loves you. The pruning process has everything to do with our growing, which is what's called more and more like Jesus, growing more and more like him in his image, which is a word called sanctification, which is a word that is all about growing and growing and walking and looking more and more like Jesus. And 1 John 1, 7 reminds us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, what? purifies us from all sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if, who's that? Anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The, whole, the old is gone, the new has come. And Isaiah 1.18 says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God has completely made you in Jesus Christ because of his blood on Calvary. Our sins are forgiven. We are made new in Jesus Christ. He takes a dirty heart and makes it new. He restores the afflicted and broken and the abused. No heart is too far gone. No sin is too deep for God's great work of redemption. There's no one or nothing outside the bounds of God's great, abundant grace to redeem lives. There is nothing outside. If you have walked in here this morning or if you are... If you're kind of listening to this a little bit, it's like there's nothing, there's no one or nothing outside the bounds of God's abundant grace to redeem your life. Nothing. No past too checkered, no mind too cluttered, no person too unlovable for God. Are you bogged down this morning by a label? Maybe it's an opinion. Not even in fact that's hanging over your life. In Jesus Christ, you aren't seen by those labels. God walks into your life when the world often walks out of your life. Gordon MacDonald, he wrote a lot during the 1980s. He was unfaithful to his wife and went through church discipline. He was in ministry and the whole bit and restored back into ministry. He tells a story about John the Baptist down the River Jordan, baptizing people. And someone's got to organize this thing, so they set up a table. At the table are those, hello, are, hello my name is blank name tags. You know those. You've seen those. And as they come by the table to pick up their labels, someone asks, what's your big sin? I lied. So liar gets put on the name tag. Get in line. Next person, I stole money. So thief gets written on the name tag. And so on and on it goes until it gets to Gordon McDonald. And the person asks him this, what's your great sin? Adulterer. And the clerk writes, Gordon, adulterer, and gets in line. And then the, down the line comes Jesus, who one by one takes off all those labels off every person in line and sticks them on himself. He then goes down to the river and gets baptized by John the Baptist, and all the labels get washed away. Completely gone, clean. Jesus Christ takes all the labels. And that's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Those old tattered and weary labels that follow us around and tell you who you are, they're gone. You're loved by Jesus Christ, period. And if you're doing a little bit of self-reflecting this morning, 
on this passage as I was during this week. This passage is telling this to his disciples before he's gone. This is to the church at this point, to his disciples. This is sort of my reflections. You may have a lot more than this, but am I truly undependent on Jesus for everything? This Christian life, your spiritual life, your life and my life that resembles Jesus, that lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, a life with Jesus that resembles the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this. I thought about our very first sonogram uh, with Morgan and I and Gwen when I thought about this. And I was thinking about this. We went to the appointment and the sonogram was black and white. And then suddenly streaks of color began to pop up on the screen. And the doctor pointed out that those colors were nutrients that were passing through the umbilical cord at that point. Gwen was abiding in Morgan, desperately dependent on her nourishment, yet resting peacefully. It's a stunning picture of us with the true vine. Matthew 6.33 reminds us this, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be given to you as well. Abiding dependently and restfully, not on our own effort, church, is the route to bearing lasting fruit. Can you say that again? Abiding dependently and restfully, not on our own effort, but through him is the route to bearing lasting fruit. Not what we can do for him, but what he can do through us. The life by the Spirit that flows through us because of a life deeply connected to Jesus Christ and to others. I know for me, um, I'm just speaking this on ground level for a second. It's impossible to walk through marriage by willpower. It's impossible to grit our teeth through lonely times. I'm a better father. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better husband when I am spending time with Jesus and other believers. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better friend when I'm spending time with Jesus Christ. When we abide with Jesus, we better fulfill the roles that God has for us. And when we are aware of our identity in Jesus first, we can then better fulfill our roles. Notice this, like the overflow of an abiding relationship with Jesus is that we are better friends, we are better coworkers, we are better parents, we are better neighbors, we are better neighbors, we are better neighbors, we are better neighbors. Okay, we're better sons, daughters, athletes, sisters, brothers, you name it. We have to abide in our identity of Jesus to fulfill our roles here on earth. When I read, I'm reminded when I read this passage that Jesus stresses that true spiritual depth. Living into the true vine only comes through us. It comes through the disciples. It comes through the people that say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. We have to make the decision ourselves to abide in Jesus. You just have to make the decision to abide in Jesus. And another point in this passage, the reflection on this, is that we can't help bear the fruit if we're connected to the source. If we're connected to the source, our life will bear fruit. We will make a difference. The source of all the fruit is Jesus. And we kind of have to ask ourselves in this reflecting passage, am I bearing fruit? Like, am I bearing fruit? Am I, bearing, am I honestly bearing fruit in my life? 
Galatians 5 is the hallmark passage for bearing fruit, a good measuring stick for us to know um, is our life bearing fruit. These are the qualities that come out of a life connected to the Spirit. These are qualities of character. What I love this is like the whole of this is about relationship with God, but these certainly influence the other people around us. Like these are character qualities. And man, you're like, man, this rubs up against people that I, I don't like. These are people that I rub up against, you know, family or friends and whatnot. Um, this is the whole part of the Christian life. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And the acts of the flesh are obvious. In Galatians 5, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in verse 22, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So those who belong with Jesus have been crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. And if we desire for other people to see and know Jesus, come and our life be a testimony, we begin with the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm sometimes asked, like, how do I live in step with the Spirit? And I always point people to the fruits of the Spirit. Is my life reflecting those characteristics. It's a call, this is a call to a much greater than just an hour on Sunday morning. This is a call that's greater than that. It's a call to our neighbors, call to love people. It's a calling when the dishes aren't done, when the laundry hasn't been folded, and you can fill in the blank for those as well. Here's the today's big idea. One point, just one point from today is that abiding in Jesus is not an abstract idea about God. It's about God, the true God, flowing through us to bring his presence into the world. And that's what it means to abide in Jesus. This is about real people connecting to the living God. And this is more than sprinkler systems, but the connection to the source of a life in tune and step with the Spirit of God is key to have purpose in our lives. Amen? Amen. If you have your communion elements available, the scriptures say, If you have those, you can kind of tear the top off here. Um, communions and oftentimes, as scriptures say, to examine ourselves before we take it. And what I'd just like to do for a few moments here is maybe your life needs some pruning. Maybe you're ingesting something or something or a habit or something that's just really not too good for you. It, it's just time to kind of be, let God be aware of that in your life, that this is not in step with the Spirit of God. This is not in step with where I want my spiritual life to be. And oftentimes that this Holy Spirit will oftentimes reveal that to us. So as that comes to mind... Will you just offer that to him? We'll just, after a little bit, a few seconds of a time of prayer, was just to ask the Spirit, ask God to reveal to you what you yourself may need to get rid of for him to do some pruning in your life.